Our God and our Father, I'm reminded of um, Charles Spurgeon, who when he walked into the pulpit would silently say to himself with every step, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So I, I want to um, come before you this morning and draw all of us to come before you this morning with that same attitude. We, we come before you. I'm, I'm going to speak words. I have words on a page. Um, I trust that you've, you've led me in these words, but, but now I, I ask, will you come and will you commission your Holy Spirit to work amongst us and to cause your word to dwell richly within us and to produce a supernatural harvest from this that, that only you can produce. So please, will you, will you please come? Will you please speak in my words? Will you please um, drill down deeply into us? Will you cause us to produce a fruit, not just here as a church, not just in our own individual hearts, but will you produce a fruit, a, har- a harvest of great fruit, um, in our homes, in our households, because of what we're considering this morning. So I pray this for your name, for the glory of your name, and in the power of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Every household has house rules, codes of behavior for that household. Sometimes they're stated, sometimes they're not stated. We, we have a sign if you walk into our house, you'll see it on the wall. It says, family rules. Keep your promises, share, think of others before yourself, say I love you, listen to your parents, do your best, say please and thank you, always tell the truth, laugh at yourself, hug often, use kind words, love each other. And you know, that's pretty good, you know, for, for finding in the clearance bin at Hobby Lobby, you know? That's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, and... Every household has a code of behavior, a code of order. Again, some are stated, many times they're unstated, and yet we all know they're there. But, but everyone has them. The, the only question is, is who or what is the, the standard for those codes? And to what end? To what end? So today we turn our attention towards home. In the, in the first three weeks, we're, we're going through a sermon series where we're talking about 10 moves we, I believe we need to make for the future. And the first three had to do with us as individuals and our hearts. And today, we turn out from ourselves toward home. And there's, there's three reasons. The household, as we will see, is the basic building block of civilization. The household is the basic building block of civilization. And our civilization needs rebuilding. It, it really is, the choice really is either Christ or chaos, and the West has chosen chaos um, over and over again, and we're dissolving into its goo, into its amorphous goo, so the goo of chaos. And so then, if, if we want to join in God's rebuilding project, and God is on that project, God is still bringing in the nations, if we want to join Him in that, we, we must have something to contribute. We must have something to contribute, uh, to help in that. So if we want to rebuild the civilization, we need to start with reforming our own households. Our own households. Now, but how do you do this when everything is in flux, including the modern household? Well, of course, we, we must not go along with the chaotic flow. Yeah, we, we know that. We should, should not do that. But we must also not determine our game plan according to what we are against either. 
That's also not wise. What is needed most when everything is in flux is to ground ourselves in the Word of God. In the Word of God. So, this morning, I'm, I'm going to explain one of those New Testament's most straightforward passages, one of the New Testament's most straightforward passages on how we are to order our households from the end of Colossians 3. And then I'm going to drill down more deeply on, on two points from that. So I'm going to ex- explain the passage and then just drill down more deeply on two points. But the main point today is this. If you want to rebuild civilization, start by reforming your own house according to the biblical blueprint. If you want to rebuild civilization, start by reforming your own house according to the biblical blueprint. So first, the passage. Um, and, I, and I'm going to simply explain this passage without much to say at, at first about our current cultural conflicts and our, our current cultural questions about it. And then I, again, I'm going to circle back on two uh, important issues from it. So the passage must be first understood in its larger context, the passage being Colossians 3, verse 18 through 4, 1. And I would encourage you, if you, if you brought a physical Bible with you, to, um, to follow along there um, in a physical Bible. Um, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against technology. I, I wrote my sermon on an iPad. <laughs> but, but I've used technology enough to know that we should also have a suspicion about it, about, about its use. And one of the great blessings of a physical Bible is that it has, uh, well, it's had a battery life now going on about 2,000 years. <laughs> um, so do with that what you will. That's not in the text. but <laughs> um, Colossians 3, 18 verse 4, 1, to 4, 1. Um, the, it must be understood in its larger context, and the big point of Colossians is that Christ is risen and ascended, and therefore he is, the, the $10 word here is preeminent over all things. He is supreme, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of book, period. He is supreme. And God is uniting all things into him. Colossians 1, uh, verses 15 through 17. He's, he's uh, combining, uniting, bringing all things together into Christ. And this uniting all things is following a process. He begins first with his church, the bride, Colossians 1.18. And once he has done bringing in all his elect and, and completing his bride, completing the beautification of his bride, he will unite all things to himself, verse 19. And so we who are in Christ are already united to him by faith, by the Spirit. Already. This is true about you. Christian already, and therefore we are already seated with him in the heavenly places. So then in chapter 3, Paul is basically saying that the entirety of chapter 3 is basically Paul saying, so act like it, and here's how. You are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are already united to him. So because that's who you are, be who you are, and here's what that looks like. Here's what that looks like. That's, that's chapter 3. Individually, in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, individually, um, that's look up, look up and see who you are and take your identity from who you are, already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And then, once you've understood who you are, so then put everything that is not the new you back into the grave, the grave from which you came out of, but that, that stuff needs to go back, back into the grave. That's, that's Colossians say, verse 4 through 11, verse 5 through 11. Put it to death. 
And then, verses 12 through 17, wear your new suit. Wear this new suit that you've been given by grace. Be who you are to each other, especially, especially verses 12 through 14, in love. Above all things, put on the suit, the, the suit jacket of love. Above all things. Why? Because you've been so doggone loved. All by grace, by Christ. That's who you are. That defines you. You're changed. You're never going to be the same. That's you. So put on love because that's who you are, because of the grace shown to you in Christ. Be who you are. Then, Paul says, beginning in verse 18 down to chapter 4, verse 1, do the same thing with your household. Order your household according to Christ. Let the cross and the resurrection give shape to your household. Let the realities of the cross and the resurrection and, and the, the, the coming resurrection give shape and order your household. Well, what does this look like? Well, here's the household code. Here's the household code for those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ. Paul begins first with wives in verse 18. And he starts with wives for a very important reason, a crucial reason that I trust, I, I, I trust will be made clear as we go along. But, but first, the first of the household codes in Christ, wives are to submit to their husbands. Not to all men, to their husbands. The word submit has a, has a military uh, tinge to it. It means an overall attitude that places oneself under the rank and authority of another. Again, it's an overall attitude that places oneself under the rank and authority of another. And Paul adds, this is fitting. This is fitting for wives who are in the Lord. To put this another way, when wives Chapter 3, verse 2, set their mind on things above. They, they look at things above. They find something there that demonstrates to them that it is fitting that they would do this, that they would place themselves under their husbands in submission, under their husbands' rank and authority. Um, so we'll consider why this is in a moment. And again, I'm going through this without any regard for current cultural questions <laughs> that are popping into your mind right now. <laughs> <clears throat> but we need to keep reading. That's the first thing. If you ever want to understand the Bible, you have a question, keep reading. Verse 19, Paul balances this with commands to husbands. Verse 19, to love their wives. So at the same time, not only are they to initiate and be, be lovers of their wives, at the same time, husbands must not be harsh with them. Husbands are never, ever, 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 ever to use their strength and authority to deal harshly or run roughshod over their wives. Ever, period, end of sentence, end of paragraph, end of book. Um, instead, when he sets his mind on things above, chapter 3, verse 2, he finds something there that moves him to love her gladly and sacrificially with his strength and authority. Gladly, sacrificially. She should be able to say that his general attitude toward her is glad, sacrificial love. Then, on to children. Verse 20. You kids. You kids. God commands you, if there's any kids in the room, they might have all left, but God commands you to obey your parents. When? How? In everything. Literally everything. The only exception is if your parents ask you to sin. <laughs> then you're off the hook. Um, otherwise, you're on the hook. 
Otherwise, you're on the hook. God commands you to obey them in everything. For this reason, a reason that given here is that this pleases the Lord. Verse 20, when you obey your parents, God is literally pleased. God does not change, but that doesn't mean God is not impassable, meaning that God never like feels things. So w- children, when you obey your parents, God is literally more happy. <laughs> That's what this says. It pleases the Lord. And again, Paul balances his command to those who are under authority with one to those who are in authority back to men, fathers. Just because you're in charge doesn't mean to get, you get to do whatever you want with your kids. They are not yours. They're God's. They're Jesus's. Because if you have a Christian household, Jesus owns it all, including your kids. And the goal is for them to do things, as we just said, that please God, that make God more happy. So don't get in the way of that. That's actually a very serious thing for any human being to get in the way of another human being's seeking to please God. Very serious thing. So, we, we, always, we always want to treat kids' disobedience as serious, but it is equally serious when a father discourages his children, verse 21, by provoking them with constant criticism or biting sarcasm or anything like that. You, you should be for your kids. You should look at them with the eyes of faith, seeing the 25-year-old version of them that God is growing them into and, and therefore have a faith-filled optimism when you look at your kids. And then lastly, Paul's attention goes to the economic activity of the home. Every home up until the 1800s was a center of economic industry. Everybody in the home worked. Everybody had a role to play. Everybody contributed. And slavery was very much a part of that. In Roman culture, slavery, it was, it was slavery. Let's not, let's not try to minimize the word. It was slavery, but it often looked more like your job than the race-based slavery of the American South. Um, So then, bond servants, slaves, verse 22, obey. There's that word again, obey. Obey your masters with sincerity of heart. Why? Because, verse 23, the Lord will reward you. The Lord will reward you. What do you mean? You mean like that day when I decided by faith to go get yet another bucket of water from the well for the household with a song in my step, and I, and I did it eagerly out of, out of faith, you mean Jesus will reward me for that? When there was nothing inherently spiritual about it. Oh, sure there was. Because you did it by faith. You did it with hope. Of course. And, and the reward that's coming will, as someone said in Sunday school class this morning, it, it sounds too good to be true. Exactly. That, that, that's what it will be. Too good to be true. Glorious. Glor- Jesus is no one's debtor. And anything done by faith in him will be rewarded. He will not forget. He will reward. So, um, you will receive an inheritance from, the, the, from the, your Lord. Verse 24, never mind what your master gives you. If he's, a, if he's stingy, never mind. Your, your inheritance is coming. Verse 24, so don't worry. And, and remember, verse 25, for any way that your master does wrong, it will be justly dealt with. When the man comes around, it will be justly dealt with. 
So that's the household code, um, or one last thing. So then, one last time, Paul balances his commands to those who are in authority. Chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing what I told them. You have a master too, and you best submit to him and how you treat your servants and how you treat your employees. It matters very much. If you are a boss, if you're a supervisor in some job, it matters very much to God how you treat them. It matters very much to God. So, um, so that's the household code of the kingdom. There is authority and there is submission. There are roles and they are not all the same. They are different. They're different. Everyone is not the same. There is a prescribed order here, prescribed by God himself. Now, what I want to do next is drill down into the questions that I know you have and then lastly ask, I want to ask why. Why, why this order? Why this household code? What, what, what is it about looking up above that we, that we see that results in this household code and not the one that we bought from Hobby Lobby? Um, so, um, now, and again, I know you have questions. You have questions about the S word, submission. Um, again, let's, let's be very clear. The word means an attitude of placing oneself under another in terms of rank and authority. Now, you might say, before we go any further, isn't this a culturally conditioned command? I mean, haven't we like, progressed beyond this? Um, isn't this something for, more, for a more you know, patriarchal time than ours? Well, l- let me challenge you to answer that question with this presupposition, that w- Christians, authentic Christians, are not conservatives or progressives according to the world's definitions of those words. We are not. But we are, we are both conservative and progressive in the sense that a true, authentic Christian is someone who wants to conserve all that God wants to conserve and wants to progress towards all that God wants to progress towards. Okay? So in that sense, we're all conservatives and progressives. We're all liberals if, if as authentic Christians, we want to liberalize all that God wants to liberalize. Um, so, and... Where, where do we know what those things are? We know them by looking at the Bible. <laughs> by looking at the Bible, by the words of the Bible. Not, not by looking at our brief season of history or our own intuition. And so when we look at this passage, Colossians 3.18, what we immediately see is that Paul gives no cultural or historical contingencies to this command. It is, in fact, timeless. He doesn't say a wife's submission to her husband is fitting in patriarchal societies. He doesn't say it is fitting up until the point of the industrial revolution and the invention of mass-produced feminine hygiene products and when the boys came home from the war. Those big moments in, that affected women greatly in history. We can talk about that another time. But he doesn't say that. He says it is fitting in the Lord. In the Lord. Every wife that has ever been a Christian, there's something about being in Christ that makes it fitting for you to submit to to your husband. Not every man, to your husband. And yes, that husband. Yes, that one. Um, Even, even, even... (laughs) It's like, Lord, Lord, sometimes the sticky wickets you get me into. But here we go. Even, even as the traditional wedding vows put it, to obey him. The traditional wedding vows do not say obey for the man. They say that for the wife. Okay? Now, that brings up another question. That is really obey? Really? Really? 
And my answer to that is, um, well, yeah, that's what, that's what the word submit means, okay? So I want to, I to say that very clearly and not shy away from that. And, and I want to say, in a good marriage, in a good marriage, most of submission does not look like obedience. All, all, all obedience is submission, but not all submission. In fact, most of submission does not look like obedience. I trust this makes sense. Let me give you an example. I, th- I was trying to count this up yesterday. My wife and I have been married 27 years, and I think in those 27 years, I think I could, I think I could count. I think I, I can count on one hand how many times she has had to obey me. And I know for a fact, one of those very vivid memories, one of those times was it, it was entirely for her. When she's in the other room, so I'll, you know. You know. Um, when, uh, and I started talking about it, so I have to, I have to finish it. But um, when she had a relationship that was what we would call today toxic, it drained her soul, it left her tired, it left her, you know, just, you know, not herself. And, and I, I, I respect my... I think I, I think I respect my wife more than anyone else on earth, I think. I think that's true. Um, but in, the, in that moment, I said, Honey, um, I'm, I'm telling you, um, you, you will ba- back away from this relationship. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I want you to spend less time with her. And do you know what the first words out of her mouth were? Two words. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It's like she needed someone else to come along and say, you have permission to do this. <laughs> um, it was for her. It was, and you could just see it. It's just like, oh. <laughs> thank you. Um, so again, so okay, what, what is that? That's like once every five years. <laughs> That's our rhythm. Where she has to, like, you know, where her sub- submission looks like obedience. Um, and I have trouble remembering the other times. Maybe you could ask her later what those were. But... Um, <laughs> So, um, so, so, the, so the wife is to submit and, and yes, obey, but again, I, you know, once every five years. And, 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 but then she would be very justified, she'd be very justified if she then turned to her husband and said, okay, dear, you're the leader, you're the head. I'm not sure I know what submission looks like, dear. Please show me. Please show me. Okay. And so I think, this is, this is my opinion, but, but I think as I, as I look around and I see women having trouble with the word submission, I think it's in part because their leaders, their heads, don't know what that word means either. Because who are men supposed to submit to? Oh, let's see, government, uh, boss, oh yeah, God. <laughs> oh yeah, God. Honey, show me what submission looks like. And how you submit to God? <laughs> so she should be able to do that. She should be able to say to the man, "Dear, show me, and then I'll follow. Show me. Um, show me upstream what submission looks like." Um, so observing what I've just observed, this doesn't let either of you off the hook. We all need to follow God's word, but it does tell us something of the problem here. So. This is why I believe Paul began, he began first with Christians and as individuals, and then he moves on to the church in general here, 
um, in Colossians 3, and then, he, and then he lands here to the household because, in one simple sense, everybody submits. Everybody is called to obey God. Though, and, and this is, this is really interesting, I, I think. That though we are male and female, the Bible describes all of us as the bride of Christ, men included, male and female. All of us, male and female, are those who submit to Christ's headship. That does not mean that men should become effeminate. That, the, the word effeminate I, I define as f- um, f- feminine, femininity, femininity, which is gloriously good, an invention of God, simply put in the wrong place. Um, femininity is awesome. It's awesome. But it, when it's put in the right place, it becomes a bad thing. Um, and this does not mean, this, this metaphor of bride does not mean that when men come into church, you need to check in your man card at the door. That's not what it's talking about. But it does mean that we all submit to Christ in obedience under his glad, sacrificial love lavished upon us. And guess what? Men go first. Men go first. We all die to ourselves, and the women, especially to their husbands, should be able to say, show me what that looks like. Show me what that looks like. This, this, is why, this is why I believe Paul begins the household code with women, not because they need to hear it any more than anyone else, but because the, the woman in the marriage is a picture of what the whole bride of Christ is to do, to submit all of us under our head, Christ, and obey him, even on the hard stuff, even on the stuff that our culture says, you're nuts, you're nuts. We've moved so far past that. You're nuts. Um, in, in that sense, we're, we're all called to be feminine in that sense. In the sense, in the sense that we all have our obedience to fulfill. We all have our obedience to fulfill, though it takes different forms. Women submit to husbands, taking their lead from their husbands who submit in humble obedience to God. Children obey their parents, learning from both mom and dad's respective submission how to obey And servants submit in obedience to their masters, following the example of the whole household, of everyone in the household, but especially their masters who submit in obedience to the master. Again, the reason why Paul lists the wife's part of the household code first is because she's a paradigm for everyone, because everyone in the household is meant to be part of the bride feminine of Christ. And Christ is drawing to himself. So this... this, (laughs) This gets after something of what I think is the deep magic of femininity. I, okay, so, and so this is just this is me thinking for a second, but I, I think I'm right, but test me on this. Um, that God designed femininity as a living parable of what all of the bride of Christ should look like and act like in Christ. Humbling ourselves under the lordship, the headship of Christ, and joyfully, um, joyfully, gladly obeying him in our particular role, in our particular place, given to us by the master of the house, Christ. So I, I think that one of the biggest dangers or problems of feminism is, is not what it, what it, the, the benefits that it brings to women, but that it has gotten us it's gotten us, Christians included, to just think about femininity altogether using feminism's categories and questions. And it's got us answering the wrong questions. And, it, and it's blinded us from these transcendent realities that God designed 
masculinity or femininity to, to portray, to, to display, as we will see, to the cosmos. In the same way, we talk about masculinity. Here, the, the, the problem with masculinity here, as, as Paul describes it, is not masculinity itself. It's the abuse of masculinity. It's not, the fact that masculinity exists is not the problem. It's when it is abused, which was the problem in Paul's day and our day. Increasingly, it's not the abuse of masculinity. It's the abdication of masculinity. It's that we're all being androgenized. That's, that's the problem. Um, so there, there's two ways to fall off a horse. <laughs> there's two ways to fall off a horse. So um, our, our goal, our need is to ground ourselves in the, the, the words of Scripture, especially when everything is in flux, especially in our households. And when we do, when we do, we see something marvelous that I've been hinting at here, and this leads me to the, the second part of the household code that I want to drill down on, and that is why. why. Why this code? Why is it fitting for a wife in the Lord to submit to her husband? Why is it that we see when we, when we, we set our things on, set our minds on things above, what, what, what is it that we see that, that makes sense of all this? And again, we've already answered this in part, but I want to put it here in whole. The answer is this, that what we see is that the household, your household, and you have to think about this visually. This is visual theology, not like word outline theology. This is visual imagination theology. Your household is meant to be a mini-cosmos, like a snow globe imaging the cosmos as it should be and will be one day. Your, your, yeah, I, I, your household and mine. What, what do I mean by this? What, what's inside the snow globe? Well, inside the snow globe, there's a father, our father, who art in heaven. And this father has a son who submits himself to the father gladly, joyfully, sacrificially. And this son goes out into the world for two reasons. For two reasons, to kill the dragon and to get the girl. And in order to do that, just as he submits to the Father, so he, he gladly, joyfully assumes the responsibility for the sins of the girl that the dragon led her into. And so he sacrifices himself in love for her on her behalf. And he does it gladly, he, he does it gladly, joyfully, submitting himself to the Father. And in doing so, he cleanses her with the washing of water with the word, Ephesians 5.26. He cleanses her and brings her to himself. And this girl, his bride, she submits then to him and everything, but she's drawn to do this by his initiating sacrificial love that goes first. Yes, Yes, she looks at him, when she, when she looks at his face, she sees, oh, it's, it's glorious because there's a crown there, but, but, but I know that that crown first was a crown of thorns, that before there was glory, there was blood. He went first in his love, and I'm drawn by that love to him. Um, and so he sacrifices himself for her on her behalf, and she loves him, and she submits to him, and they both do this in joy, both gladly. And as she submits to him, she does what, what he says, which is to go and disciple the nations, to disciple the nations, 
teaching them also to do all that the Son commands them to do, Matthew 28, 20. And when she does this, they have offspring. They have children, the nations. Every one of these kids is different. Every nation is different from the next, but they all learn from their mother and their father how to submit to and obey the Father, to, to observe all that Jesus commands them to do. Do you see? The, the, the household is, is meant to be a picture of the cosmos and what God is doing in the cosmos to unify and, and, and unite all things into Christ Jesus. The household, your household Christian, is meant to be this, this snow globe that pictures in advance a renewed cosmos where all things are united together into Christ, where his glory covers the world as the waters cover the sea. Meant to be. No one does this perfectly. No one does this perfectly, but first understand, first I, I hope you're grasping this, that, that your family, your household, has nothing less than that transcendent purpose. I, I, hope you, I hope you feel, as you're listening to this, your eyes lifted up from just the, the earthly priorities that we often rightly, understandably think about for our households, and, and to see that... that the transcendent purpose for your household is to display what God is doing in the whole cosmos. Okay, now, you may have other questions. Single-person households. You may have other questions about submission. And I'm happy to come to your small group or, and continue the conversation, and you can pepper me with any question you want. Um, or to talk one-on-one -on -one about this, to continue the conversation. But to all of us, to all of us, God is saying, God is saying, this is not easy. And I know that. I, I know that it's not easy. It wasn't easy for first century Christians either. That's why God says, I had to write this to them. Because it wasn't, they needed to be commanded, because it's not easy to them. Their wives found it hard to submit. Their husbands found it hard to gladly assume sacrificial responsibility in love. Their children found it hard to obey their parents. Their employees tended to resent their bosses. Their bosses tended to take advantage of their employees. They're not that different from us. Not that different from us. In fact, they're just like you in many ways. Their eyes tending to be fixed only down here and to qu quickly forget what's true about them, just like we're so quickly, me, I'm, me included, I'm so quick to forget who I am, who I am according to what Christ has done for me. We're not so different across the centuries. God says all that. And then God says, but are you willing to go with me on this? Are you, are you willing to go with me on this? Um, that's, that's what I asked the Colossians, and that's what I ask you. God is saying, are you willing to go with me on this? Because every piece of this household code is fitting in the Lord. Every piece of it is, is a picture of some aspect of the cosmos. And, and it is fitting, it is fitting because when, when someone in the Lord becomes in the Lord, they are changed forever. They're changed forever. For instance, Jesus said that the only sign that would be given to his generation was a sign of Jonah. Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the whale, and then the whale vomited him back up on the beach, and people all around him, peering at him. I, I believe in that moment he, he, he was raised from the dead. I believe he died in the whale and was raised from the dead. That'll change a man. <laughs> That'll change a man. 
And, and that experience, skin bleached from the acids of the whale and his soul bleached clean by the grace of God, he was cleansed and made new. And from that experience, he obeyed God. And from that obedience, he simply went to Nineveh and barely said anything, and they repented. They repented. The worst sermon ever. Greatest revival ever. Because he'd been changed by God. That's what happens when, when each one of us becomes in Christ. It's as if we've gone into the earth with Jesus, whom Jonah pictured. Jesus, who, who was crucified and buried and was, and was covered in the bowels of the earth for three days and three nights and then was raised from the dead. That is you. That is me. We are changed. We are new. Cleansed cleansed, the, the bride who was beautified and cleansed, we are new. And so we, we are now empowered to follow this new household code, this household code which has in it tremendous power to, to be the very building block of a new civilization. Um, so we who trust in Christ, we are united. We are united to Jesus, and thus his resurrection is ours. We're cleansed, we're raised from the dead, we're bought and purchased as his beautified bride, no longer our own, but united as if in a, in a one flesh union to Jesus now. Thus we have come to his house with his household codes, no longer walking in the way of our own sin, but also no longer walking in the way of our own intuitions of what we just think should be the case. No longer, of course, walking in the philosophies of our age, but in resurrection obedience to him. Obedience to him in the way that he is assigned to each of us. Well, the last thing that I want to share is that the key that unlocks all of this obedience is hope. Hope. For this Jesus, our husband, lavishly, lavishly rewards all those who joyfully, humbly obey him. Each one of these household codes comes with promises, promises from the resurrected Jesus of blessing of lavish reward. The Lord sees the Lord sees you, dear sister, who, who is struggling to submit to that scalawag. He sees it. He sees it at three o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday when no one else can see it, and you say, why? Why are you calling me to do this again? He sees it, and he does not forget and one day, when he returns, he's going to return, 1 Peter 1.7, and when he does, he, he will remember every last bit of, of every last step you took, every, every little step of submission, every little step that you took out of hope. He will remember, and he will rewind the tape. He will rewind the tape, and he will show all the cosmos, look, it was worth it. It was worth it. For that, for that little step of hope that you took at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on February, whatever it will be, February 14th, 2023, here's my reward. Come and enter, and enter into my inheritance. Take it all. What? Well, that doesn't compute. Just, just for that, you, you're rewarding me with everything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's who I am. That, that, that's who I've always been, the lover of your soul. That's who I am. That's how much I love you. Oh, I was so pleased. I was so thrilled with it back then. And I, and I've, I haven't stopped being pleased and thrilled with that, that little step you took. And I did not forget. 
I did not forget. It was precious to me, precious in my sight. Here, take it all, my dear sister, my dear daughter. Take it all. That's what's awaiting you, all of us who obey in this hope, hope of blessing and reward. So let's, let's pray now. What we've heard today is as many things that are important in life. It's easy to understand, harder to do. So let's pray now that God will give us grace to do these things in hope. Father, please, we ask, give us grace now. Give us grace to have hope in this reward. Give us grace to believe it, to see it, and to take steps of faith and hope in our households, that our households would become little pictures of the cosmos, pictures of glory, and would these households then become building blocks that you would delight to use in your rebuilding of civilization. Will you do this? Will you do this for the glory of your name? Will you do this for the joy of our souls? Because in this there is great reward now and for forever. So fill us, carry us, enable us, we ask. In Jesus' name, our husband, amen. Christian, go remembering you are the beloved, beautified, blessed bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ. You are so privileged. So go, go looking up, looking up to who you are in heaven and go therefore walking in the, in the ways and the orders that he commands us to walk in until he comes and rewards us, rewards us.